We're continuing and finishing up our series in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. We will be uh, in late May, June, starting a new series in the book of Acts, going through the book of Acts together. So I'm excited about that. Also, something I'm excited about coming up, and I forgot to mention this, this Saturday we are playing a baptismal celebration, 7 o'clock at New Life Christian Assembly, uh, and we have uh, some folks who are being baptized, and we get to celebrate the new life. If you are, uh, haven't yet spoken to me, I, there, I know there's some out there that I've talked to and wanted to be baptized. We need to finalize that this week and talk. Um, so see me afterwards, and we can discuss that, and that would be wonderful. Uh, baptism is such a powerful and meaningful, God-given sacrament to express our new life in the Lord and to celebrate together. So if you, if you have yet to be baptized as an adult uh, believer, we, we would love to have you be baptized with a number of people on Saturday, 7 o'clock at, at New Life Assembly. And that's uh, on Main Street, north side of Main Street near 495. Well, we're continuing our series, wrapping up, looking at these summary exhortations at the end of Matthew 7. As we prepare to hear from God's Word, uh, let's pray and ask Him to speak to us and be with us this morning through the preaching of His Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Jesus, for this wonderful sermon. And Lord, for the fruit that has, I believe, already been born in this series, Lord, as Your Word has come to bear in our lives. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for the new life that's sprung up, Lord, even in this series. Thank You, Lord, for the fresh life that has come as well, as we've been in Your Word as we've learned about what it is to trust in the King and to follow the King and to live radically different in Him. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Holy Spirit, that You have been here and communicated to us. We just are grateful. And we pray today, Lord, as we look at Your Word, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are open. Help us, Lord. We are weak. The Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Our minds can wander. We can be distracted. And we need your help to pay attention to you, Lord. Lord, may you speak. May the things that I say as I seek to serve you and your people that are of me but not of you just pass by. But may the things that are you speaking through me, may those things stick. And may there be seeds planted and life coming forth. For your glory and our good, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew seven fifteen through 20. Message entitled, Recognizing Wolves. Jesus says in this passage, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This section of Scripture, Matthew 7, 15 through 20, is a part of Jesus' concluding statements, his concluding exhortations in the Sermon of the Mount as he's been teaching these wonderful truths about what life looks like when we trust the King and follow the King. He's finishing up saying, these are ways that I want you to walk these things out. These are things to keep in mind. These are key truths. These are key applications. These are key implications of these truths. As you hear these sections of Scripture, as we hear these truths from Jesus, He wants them to lead us in certain ways. He wants us to know certain things that are important as we walk in these things. So last week, we heard from Jeff as he did a great job preaching about the wide and narrow gate, that this narrow, life-giving way as we uh, live and depend on Jesus is to be the way for believers. And now Jesus wants us to understand as we walk along this narrow way, there are some things that we need to consider. And there is one thing in particular in this passage we need to be aware of, is that there are false prophets out there. As you walk on the narrow way, as you've entered through the narrow gate in Jesus, as you're walking along the way, you are going to encounter false prophets. And they're going to come to you in sheep's clothing. They're going to look good on the outside. And you're not going to be able to tell that they're false by looking on the outside. They're going to look good on the outside. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves, the complete opposite of what you would expect. And Jesus is saying, you will recognize these false prophets not by what you see on the outside, not by the gift or the ability or the personality, but by the fruit that they bear. This is an important, important truth for us. Because as we walk along the narrow way, as we've entered the narrow gate, we're going to encounter such people. And if we are naive we're going to end up following them and be led off that narrow way if that were possible. So Jesus wants to make us aware of these false prophets, what's going on and how to recognize them. He wants us to be aware of them. This is a reality. This is a truth. This is something for us to consider. And we may think, you know, I just don't see it right now. I mean, I'm in a pretty good church. You know, not seeing this. I mean, does this have application? That's for that other church, that crazy church, or that that thing that went on back then? No, it's for us. It's for our future as well. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. He doesn't say, you know, a minor consideration amongst all this is there might be false prophets. No, beware of false prophets. So he wants to inform us about this. So we're going to take time to consider his words. First, we're going to look at... That phrase, beware of false prophets, to look at what false prophets are. False prophets have been a problem for God's people for a long, long time. If you read the history of God's people in the Old Testament, there were a number of false prophets. There were false prophets that came at times not in sheep's clothing. They came blatantly as false. But some of the worst situations was when the false prophet would come in sheep's clothing, would come from amongst them 
and would look like one of them and supposedly be teaching God's truth. So throughout the Old Testament, we see that in different places. And we see in the New Testament this constant concern for false prophets. I think that's a clue to us that maybe this is more important than we might think. So in Matthew 24, Jesus talks again about this. I think we have these verses to show. He says, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Jesus is talking about the, the end times, the time from his ascension to his return. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So in this end time, there will be false prophets who arise and lead many astray. Things will go bad in many ways, but the gospel will continue to go forward. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Paul and Peter and other other writers of Scripture and leaders were concerned with this as well. Paul says in Acts 20, he's with the Ephesian church and This is a precious church to him. Uh, He labored there and God blessed and led many to Christ. And he was able to establish a a nice team of elders. And as as he's addressing this team, knowing he probably won't see them again, he's bringing key truths. And one of the truths he says is, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. If it can happen to Ephesus, which was essentially planted by Paul, if not significantly nurtured by Paul, can you imagine having Apostle Paul as your, as your senior pastor for years? I mean, this is a healthy, strong, thriving church. And if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. Peter says, in Second Peter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Peter's concern about them as well. And sadly, the history of the church is one of false prophets who have led the sheep astray. So this is something we, may, we need to pay attention to. Whether the need is immediate or future, it is important. What is a false prophet? Well, they're prophets in that they're claiming. They're claiming to speak God's truth. But Peter and Paul actually use other phrases for them. Peter equates false prophets with false teachers. He, He interchanges that term. Paul equates false prophets with false apostles. So it's not just somebody who who maybe gets up there and predicts what's going to happen in the future falsely with false motivations. It's also people who teach or lead and are false. Not just a prophet, but anyone who is a church leader in any capacity who falsely teaches or, or with false motivations leads. Anyone that teaches that they are speaking legitimate truth but really are incorrect and unauthorized in that truth. They are false prophets. Well, who would be modern examples? What are some modern examples of false prophets? I want to be careful in that as I was preparing this message, and I want us to be careful with this, being quick to identify false prophets. Sadly, there are those who aren't slow to do this. I don't really trust my ability to see clearly and fully see what's going on. So I don't want to 
be quick to say, oh, that's a false prophet. I don't trust my own heart in that. I am prone to self-righteousness. So I don't do this quickly. But on the other hand, we don't want to not do it, right? Because we're to beware of false prophets. So we are to do something, but we're not to do it too quickly. Sadly, there are those who are very quick to proclaim false prophets. Some folks seem to think that they are the official false prophet finders. They see themselves as kind of spiritual vigilantes, self-appointed keepers of truth and justice, riding their blogs around the country, vanquishing all perceived false prophets. Sadly, these folks often do more damage than the false prophets themselves. So we want to be humble in this. We want to be careful. We want to recognize that we can get it wrong and we can do damage in that. But we must recognize them. Jesus tells us, instructs us in that. So there are false prophets out there. I'm not going to not say anything about that. There are. There are some ones we know clearly from history. Leaders of pseudo-Christian groups like Joseph Smith and the Latter-day Saints. His teaching. Jim Jones. By the way, Jim Jones was an evangelical, I think, Pentecostal preacher when he started. And you know the Jonestown Massacre, for those of us who are older, we remember it vividly, I'm sure. Jim Jones. Charles Miller, the founder of the Jehovah Witnesses. These are all men who denied the truth and adversely impacted lives. So they were false prophets. There are false prophets around today as well. And sadly, some of them are among the ranks of believers. Jesus says they're going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to be... They're going to look like us. They're going to be in our midst. Paul was concerned that they're going to be in our midst. They can be hard to detect. I think to sum it up, it's anybody, any Christian leader who falls away from the centrality of the good news of Jesus Christ and allows that falling away to take them away from the centrality, importance, and the purity of truth in that. If somebody drifts from the centrality of the, of the gospel, they are in danger of eventually becoming a false prophet if they do not correct that drift. It's also any leader who is motivated more by, to fulfill their own sense of destiny and desires than a desire to lay their lives down for the church. A false shepherd, a wolf, lays the church's life or lays the sheep's life down for himself versus laying himself down for the sheep. That's the difference. They lay the lives of the sheep down for themselves. So any leader whose primary goal, and there are always mixed motives, I don't mean to say that every, you have to have perfect, pure motives to, to be a, a leader, but any leader who primarily is after their, their own desires at the cost of the church, these are false prophets. Jesus says that they are ravenous wolves inwardly. On the outside, they are in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. They are dangerous, hungry wolves. If you think about it, when you watch, if you watch horror movies, or I don't really watch horror movies because uh, I get too scared and can't get them out of my mind, but if you read literature, there's some literature out there like that. What is one of the scariest things in that genre? It's the guy that, that actually is something different than what he looks like, right? Invasion of the Body Snatchers, remember that one? Right? There were, what there, these aliens that invaded the, the bodies and they looked like real people and, and when you started to talk to them, all of a sudden, they, I just remember that scene with the guy screaming. It was really scary. But the thing that was scary about it was, was that it looked like a normal person. And all of a sudden you realize, ah, it's one of the evil aliens. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, what's so scary about that? 
Dr. Jekyll's a nice, polite guy. All of a sudden, he turns into Mr. Hyde, the horrible, murderous, evil Mr. Hyde. What's so scary about the boogeyman? It's because he lives under my bed. He's right there. And when I get up and put my feet down, he's ready to grab my feet. He's there. Jesus is saying, these false prophets are in your midst looking like sheep perhaps. Or at least they will be. That's scary. Jesus tells us to beware. To beware of the false prophets. Because they come to us as, in, as wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing. And as you read through the Scriptures, it describes these ravenous wolves in detail. That they really have their own appetites at the core of what they do. What's driving the train for them is themselves. Their own desires. They are greedy to serve themselves. And they see Christian leadership as a way to fulfill their selfish ambitions. Now, I'm not saying that a leader is not to be ambitious, and I'm not saying that a leader isn't selfish at times. But what drives the train in their lives, more than anything else, is selfish ambition, is greed. It's making a name for themselves or or seeing their cause promoted without their eyes on the Lord and without their eyes on others. They are fulfilling their selfish ambitions. They are self-deceived and they deceive others. They've set their eyes on earthly things and not on Jesus Christ. They find their glory in what is ultimately their shame, living for their own glory instead of the glory that matters most. Now this description I think fits all of us. And as I prepared this and went through it, there's just this feeling inside of me, Lord, I cannot preach this message because I don't stand guiltless before you and your people in this. I recognize my own heart, my own tendencies here, that at times it's more about me and what I want than what Christ wants. And I think there's a couple conclusions as we think along that line. Is You know what? Any of us could become a ravenous wolf. Any leader could become a ravenous wolf. But also... God's grace is at work. And when I look, I do see these things, but I also see God changing me. I see God giving me godly motivations. I see those things in you guys. I know you struggle, but I know for, for, for every believer here, there's God's grace at work. There's a new motivation. There's a new perspective. There's a new desire to not just live for self, but to lay self down for the glory of God, to find His glory as the glory that matters most and the good of others as important and even more important than our own good. So, yeah, we need to be sober and humble in this, realizing that we might be that wolf if we give in to those things, but also recognizing that God's grace is at work. And God gives us grace to raise up leaders after His own heart. The ultimate thing I think to think in this message to remember, if I want you to remember anything, is, not, is certainly to beware of false prophets, but to be more aware of the Good Shepherd who is pure in His motivations, who has laid down His life for His sheep, who does not waver and does not fail, and who is able to raise up leaders like Himself. So yes, the church has had false prophets. 
but the church has also had wonderful under-shepherds. There are many godly lives to study. There are many godly lives around us to look at and say, thank you, God, for your grace. Because really it's His grace, isn't it? Left to ourselves, we're not going to be true shepherds or leaders. But because of His grace, there's change and there's genuine love for Him and for His people. So we want, we want to do that exercise. We want to look to Him. But, but we don't want to forget the lesson here that we need to beware of this reality. When I was in college, I had a, a number of friends. I was a young believer. I had a group of friends. I was involved with the Navigators. Uh, and it was an exciting time. Uh, pretty much everyone I knew, there were some guys that had known Christ since they were kids, but most of them were brand new converts. Um, I had become a Christian right before high school, uh, right before college, and uh, and there were guys coming to Christ my freshman year. Very excited. I had a number of friends around me. I was involved in a, a men's Bible study, and I remember the guys. I remember them vividly. And one of the guys' name, uh, I'll call him Cal. Uh, Cal was just uh, he was an engineering student, a bright guy, a vivacious, just great personality. You know, I don't know if vivacious is a term a guy wants to be called, but anyhow, he was. He was this this great guy, um, real smart, and he was a guy in Bible study you wanted there, you know, because if ever there was silence, you know, which there can be sometimes, he would have something to say, it would be good, or something maybe funny to say. He just had a lot of life. It was exciting. He was growing like a weed. He was just growing in his knowledge of Scripture, telling people about Christ. Big changes going on. It was so exciting. And then one... I think it was either summer or winter break, I can't remember. He was working in Boston. And he met another guy. I don't know the guy's name. We'll call him Jim. And Jim was brighter than Cal. He was, he seemed like a very godly man. And he knew his Bible, so it seemed, inside and out. And Cal was kind of new to the Bible. I mean, he was just about two years of knowing the Lord. And this guy, Jim, was just, he knew his Bible. And he started to talk to Cal and he you know, built a friendship. And, uh, and he started to share with Cal that, uh, that Cal probably wasn't a Christian. Now, he did it, you know, gently, I think. He did it convincingly. He brought him to all these scriptures and basically said, Cal, you were not baptized the way that the scriptures tell you to be baptized. You weren't baptized believing that it is baptism itself in faith that saves you. So you're not saved, even though Cal had been baptized, I believe, at that point, but he hadn't been baptized his way. And what that did to Cal is it shook him. thought, oh no, I might not be a believer because I didn't do this thing this guy says I have to do. And I watched the life get sucked out of my friend Cal as he got drawn into this false teaching from this false prophet, Jim, or whatever his name was. And where there had been life and excitement and growth, all of a sudden there was antagonism and fear. And Cal went and got baptized in this church and got sucked into the legalism and lies that were there. He immediately married his girlfriend at the time because they told him to do that. And he disappeared. All that joy, all that zeal, all that future was stolen by that false leader. I have some contact with Cal at this point. I hope perhaps to be of some influence in his life. 
false prophets are out there. And their impact is real. My friend's life was adversely affected by a false prophet. They're ravenous wolves. I don't think the guy Jim was aware that that was the case. I don't know all of his motivations, but his cause, his false cause, drove him to to take Cal away from a place where he was growing and thriving so that he could be part of his church, the true church. They're out there. They come to us in sheep's clothing. They look good. They look legit. They look gifted. They look sincere. And I think they are sincere often. I think it's the rare false prophet that actually knows that he's off. I think usually the part of the danger is they are so sincere that they convince you of their sincerity because they are convinced of their sincerity. And their gift and their personality carries the day. They look good. They've got it together. They're convinced that they're right. They're convinced that their cause is right. And they don't see their own hearts. They don't see what's gone on in their life, that they have drifted from the truth and that they are more interested in drawing people to themselves than drawing people to Jesus. They look good. Often it's personality and gifts. Now, there's nothing wrong with personality and gifts. We want gifts and leaders. It's not that we don't. And we certainly would love to have some personality in our leaders too. It's not that, that those things are bad, but the case is with these folks, is that they've got the personality and gift, and it might be strong. They've got the sheep's clothing. They look like legit believers. They look like legit leaders. But inside, there's something else going on. They're not even aware of it. And we won't be aware of it either if we're not careful. If we look at the outside. Oh, look at that guy. Boy, he's gifted. Look at that woman. Gifted. Wonderful person. Love to be around them. They're funny. They know their Bible. And we can get sucked in. That's part of the point here. They come in sheep's clothing. Inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Beware of these ones. And if it ended there, we'd be in trouble because we'd think, well, how in the world are we supposed to detect? What should we do? Should we just go out and start, you know, shoot first, ask questions later? Anybody who's gifted and got personality, we'll just shoot them. And then later on, we'll just, you know, sort them out. I mean, we wouldn't know what to do if it was just that, hey, there's false prophets, and we'd live in fear. Oh, no. Who knows? It could be anybody. Oh, look, there's a gifted guy. It must be him. Everybody get him. You know, that, that's not going to work. Jesus doesn't leave us there. He tells us that we ought to recognize them by their fruit, not their outward appearance. Often they're going to be gifted. The Apostle Paul dealt with the fact, uh, the reality that there were false apostles that were more gifted than he was. Think about that. He says in, in 2 Corinthians, these guys are, you know, they, they speak, they, well, he quoted them saying that, I'll read it, 2 Corinthians 10, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and, and his speech of no account. Now he's quoting people. And then later on says, indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking. I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. So Paul dealt with this. There were guys that were more gifted than Paul, better speakers. The Corinthians were being drawn away by these guys. And Paul tries to draw them back. It's interesting, and this is another message, but to take some time to read 2 Corinthians, uh, the latter part, 10 and on, and to watch what Paul did. Paul 
goes on and he says, you know what, you guys want some reasons why I'm less gifted and I'm inferior? Let me give you some more. And he starts to give more reasons. And he says, I don't want your attention to be on me or that leader. I want your attention to be on Christ. I delight in my weaknesses so that in my weakness Christ might be shown as strong. So that's totally different, isn't it, than a ravenous wolf. Paul's, Paul essentially says, I don't care in a lot of ways whether you like me or not. I want you to get your attention on Jesus regardless of me. Where the super apostles were saying, no, 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 you've got to come through us. We're the ones. You've got to look to us and do what we say. Paul had a very different heart. So Jesus tells us we are to recognize them by their fruit. Recognize them by their fruit. He says, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So the simple truth that good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. This simple truth is used as a metaphor for how we are to tell when somebody is a false prophet. It's not the outward stuff. It's not personality. It's not gift. Now, those are good things. Personality and gifts are helpful, but that's not how you tell. It's their fruit. The basic truth is that the bad tree has, is a bad tree by nature and has a bad root. And what it will produce in time is what? Bad fruit only. The good tree, good in the root, will produce good fruit. And if someone is in Christ and, and, and living in His truth, abiding in Him, they will produce good fruit. But the, the false leader is not abiding in Christ and will not produce good fruit, but bad truth. Fruit. This is key for us in discerning that. And I think we could divide up fruit into two sections. And I'm keying off of what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. We can show the verse. Timothy, uh, Paul is instructing Timothy, and he's calling Timothy to, to be a leader. And as he calls him, he says to Timothy, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy, watch your fruit. Watch the fruit of your life, who you are, yourself, your life, and your teaching. Watch your fruit. And if you continue to abide and produce good fruit, it will result in salvation for you, that you being affirmed that you indeed are a believer, because ultimately we don't know 100% until we endure to the end and have been faithful. So watch yourself. And watch it for the sake of others too, because your usefulness depends on your fruit, the integrity of your fruit over time. So life and teaching, these are the areas of fruit we are to look at to discern a true versus a false leader. So first, life. It's interesting, as you look through Scripture, the qualifications for church leaders are mainly about what? Character are mainly about life, who they are. First Timothy three, Titus one, first Peter five. These are all character qualifications. Isn't that interesting? The majority of the qualifications are about character. Paul's saying, Timothy, when you go to choose elders and deacons, look 
for personality and gifting. We want the guys that are just so charismatic, people would flock to them. The guys that are eloquent, they're going to make it happen. No. Look for character. Look for life, fruit, who they are. And he lays out all these wonderful qualifications that are character qualifications. There's only one gift qualification that he lays out for elders in a little different form for deacons. Elders have to show all this fruit in their character and they have to be able to teach and teach accurately. So they're teaching. But it's only one of the whole. For deacons, it's not that they have to teach, but they have to hold to gospel truths accurately and truthfully. So they need to, to hold to the truth well. And that's, for us as a church, how we distinguish between deacons and elders in their qualifications. The character qualifications are all there for deacons and, and I would say the, the wives or deaconesses as well. They are to have these character qualifications. How many times, sadly, has the church and churches appointed deacons and elders because of personality and gift without taking time to look at fruit, who they are, the character of their lives? Often the, the process of raising up or, or getting a, a new elder or pastor doesn't provide the time to do There are godly men, I know, and perhaps others that aren't, that go through and and build a resume, get an education, and an education is really important. I don't mean to downplay that. Thank God for seminary and the blessing it is, but there are some who go through and get the education and get the resume and apply for a job, and the church doesn't really know who the person is. doesn't take the time to look at the fruit of their life. And really, I would say disobeys Timothy and Titus in the Scriptures. Now, I'm not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying, I'm not saying anyone who does that is wrong. There are ways to do that, to look at the life fruit. Uh, But we must do it. We must. Because Jesus says, beware of false prophets. And the bane of the church is leaders that are not really called and qualified biblically to lead. And the blessing of the church is leaders that are called and qualified to lead. And so we must follow these truths. We must be wise. We must look at fruit. And the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to do that. You can do it in 1 Timothy 3. You can do Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. The Sermon on the Mount. I mean, the context of Jesus saying, beware of false prophets, right? And to look at their fruit is the Sermon on the Mount. And what a passage to use. Can you imagine a pastoral interview with the Sermon on the Mount as the things you're going to talk about? I think it's appropriate. I think it's something we're, we're to hold our leaders to. And the wonderful fruit that's called, called, we're called to in this, this fruit of a Godward life, humility, mercy, devotion to God, seeking peace versus controversy, mere controversy, willing to be persecuted, sharing your faith, hungry for holiness, uh, aggressively, Repenting of anger, sexually pure, deeply honors marriage, speaks straightforwardly, genuinely loves enemies, prays with, secretly with her eyes on God, gives consistently and secretly with her eyes on God, fasts the same way, invests finances for the kingdom, trusts in God, is not anxious, not judgmental, nor negligent of others' faults, nor naive, aggressively seeks God for his kingdom ambitions, others-oriented, Christ-centered, the list can go on and on of the fruit that's to be there. So that's how we tell. We look at the fruit of their character as defined by Scripture. 
The ravenous wolf will not show forth good fruit. But the genuine leader will. And their teaching must be good as well. Now, I don't mean that they must... They, well, they do need to be a good teachers to some degree. <laughs> um, but it must be sound. The content and trajectory, where it's going, of their, teacher needs, of their teaching needs to be sound. And at the core of their teaching must be the centrality of the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We have a quote from John Stott to put up as he talks about this in his commentary. It says, It is surely not an accident, therefore, that Jesus' warning about false prophets in the Sermon on the Mount immediately follows his teaching about the two gates, the two ways, the two crowds, and the two destinations. For false prophets are adept at blurring the issue of salvation. Some so muddle or distort the gospel that they make it hard for seekers to find the narrow gates. Others try to make out that the narrow, gate, the narrow way is, in reality, much broader than Jesus implied, and that to walk it requires little, if any, restriction on one's belief or behavior. Yet others, perhaps the most pernicious of all, dare to contradict Jesus and to assert that the broad road does not lead to destruction, but that, as a matter of fact, all roads lead to God. That even the broad and the narrow roads, although they lead off in opposite directions, ultimately both end up in life. They get the gospel wrong. And they mislead God's people. And they cause great harm. They are ravenous wolves. They miss the gospel. They miss the truth of who God is and His holiness and His divine prerogative to require and call and urge us all to live our lives dependent on Him in heartfelt, whole obedience to Him. They deny that. They deny His purity and power and greatness. And so in doing that, they end up denying who we are before a holy God. They deny the reality that we are fallen and we fall short in our sin, our sad and in crazy state of rebellion against pure goodness and glory. They deny that. They deny sin. They deny who we are. They forget God. And then they ignore or, or distort the truth of Christ who came as God in the flesh, born of a virgin, living a perfect life, fulfilling Scripture, obedient to the point of death on the cross for sins, buried and resurrected on the third day. They get that. Either in content or trajectory. Either they get the message wrong or where they go with the message. They're not drawing us to the truth of Christ. They're drawing us somewhere else. They get wrong the response we are called to. The only right and appropriate response to the good news of Christ coming to die for our sins. Sinners who don't deserve God's favor. This good and perfect holy God who is only good and glorious, we've sinned against Him. And we stand guilty, justly guilty, accused and condemned. And there's not a hope for us apart from God's intervention. But that's the good news. He sent His only Son to die for us. Why? Only because He's merciful and loving. It's amazing to think. He so loved His people, He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should receive eternal life. So they forget that 
this is true. And the only right response is to say, Lord, I'm, I'm turning from myself and sin in the old way. I want you. I put my trust in you. So they, they neglect the response. And by neglecting these things, which is really the, are the truths of the gospel, they do damage. And there are secondary truths that are important as well. These are the primary. These are important. And the truth of the gospel is to be central. It is to be central. It is to drive all the other things in the church and in our lives. There are secondary truths that are important, but the truth of the gospel is to be primary. And that is another sign that somebody is drifting, whether it be me or any of us, that we, maybe we continue to emphasize the gospel, but it's no longer primary, right? It becomes secondary. And the primary thing becomes something else. Social justice, as important as that is, and as much a fruit of the gospel that it is, it's a must-fruit for God's people, is not a central thing. The gospel is. So when we start to drift, and social justice comes up as our prime thing, we're getting in trouble. And I, as a leader, if I start to do that, I'm drifting towards becoming a false prophet. You can look, that, look at other things as well. When we take the gospel and we move it off of center stage and we put something else up there, we're in trouble. There's a church leader named Jim. He graduated in the early 60s from a Bible college in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He was excited about the Lord. He married, uh, met and married a young lady at that Bible college. And they went to serve the Lord. They went to serve the Lord in a groundbreaking ministry using mass media and doing children's ministry. Really groundbreaking stuff. They were on fire for the Lord. They were successful in what they did as they were part of this ministry that they ended up starting their own ministry. And over time, they were prosperous in that ministry. And I don't know all that happened and when it happened and what happened, but somewhere in there, they got this idea that God wanted all His people to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. You know, that's true. But it's not till the very end that it happens through trials, through persecutions at time, we enter the kingdom. It is guaranteed we will be healthy and wealthy and joyful with Christ at the center. That is true. But they got the idea somewhere along the line that that was to be now. And so all of a sudden, yeah, the gospel had been there, but it, this thing of prosperity started to take center stage. And it started to control their lives. And Jim and his wife, Tammy Faye, ended up making lots of money and you know the rest of the story. Jim Baker ended up in federal prison, I think, for years. And at the end of it all, uh, has said in his book, and I think still holds to this, I think we have this quote to put up, the more I studied the Bible, however, I had to admit that the prosperity message did not line up with the tenor of Scripture. My heart was crushed to think that I had led so many people astray. I was appalled that I could have been so wrong. And I was deeply grateful that God had not struck me dead as a false prophet. Pray that he continues in that understanding as he has a new, a new ministry. The gospel has to stay central in our lives individually and as a church and as leaders. And we mustn't let other things take precedence.
I'm aware as a pastor there are a lot of things out there. There are a lot of issues to look into. There's a lot of things that God calls us to as His people, as the Gospel changes our lives, to walk in. And at times they're important things. And they're to be part of the picture. My concern for us is at times, as I, as I talk and interact with people, those things end up taking center stage and the Gospel gets forgotten. Now, in some ways, every week is, is that experience. Is it not that we forget the Gospel? But it must not mark our lives over the long haul. We are gospel-centered as a church, not as just a motto, not just because it's kind of in to be gospel-centered. We are gospel-centered as a church because of these reasons. Because if we're not gospel-centered, eventually something else will be central. And it may be all right for a generation, but what happens to the next generation? All of a sudden, it's no longer the gospel. It drifts. It can happen in less than a generation. If you examine the history of New England, when the Unitarian uh, emphasis came in, there were churches with pastors. I know one in particular. The church started out faithful in a man's lifetime. And over time, he drifted into Unitarianism and, and basically saying, you know, denying the truth of the gospel, led his whole church into that in his own lifetime. So there's a vigilance we need. We're not to be vigilantes, but we are to be vigilant and recognizing our own need to keep the gospel central, and recognizing our need as a church to keep the gospel central, and letting that influence how we do things, and letting this truth about the wolves be part of how we do things. I want to finish with some applications of these truths. First off, to us as a church. I think we've talked about it. We need personal application. But I want you to be aware of how and why we do things in regards to leadership. This truth is important in how we do leadership. And we are so grateful for God's grace at work in raising leaders up. That, that's the truth behind all this. He is raising leaders up. But we as a church, are, while we are aggressive in raising leaders up as quickly as we can by God's grace and and it is my, after, pre, after prayer and preaching, after preaching and prayer and the Word, it is my third priority to raise leaders up, to care for leaders and raise them up. As aggressive as we are in that way, we, we are careful to look at fruit. And so there's a process involved. There's a process of evaluation and exposure of somebody and looking at their fruit, looking at who they are and, their, and, and how they hold the truth. If it's a, a deacon, we look at the character and we look at how they hold the truth. If it's a potential elder, we look at character and how they hold the truth and how they proclaim the truth. But we take time to look at fruit. So we are committed to that. And, and I say this because I want us to understand that. I want us to be committed as a church to the process. I want us to be aggressive. I want us to be patient too. It can take time for some it's quick. For others, it's slow. I didn't become a pastor till I was 37. It was a slow process for me, obviously. Um, for some of us, it's going to be slow. It doesn't have to be that long, but it, some of us, it's going to be quick. But we want to be patient. We want to look at fruit. We want to look at these things. We want to trust the Lord. And I am excited for us. There are a number of leaders who are in the pipeline or through the pipeline. We have, as a church, three Wonderful deacons who are qualified. Uh, one elder locally, currently, myself. One elder extra locally, Bauer Evans, overseeing us. And we hope in the, next, in the following years to add folks as we have others in the pipeline. Um, 
as a pastor, I'm always looking to see what the Lord's doing, and I could, I won't name names, but there are a number of people that I think of as future deacons and future elders. So we have people in the process. My hope is within the next three years to be able to add maybe three more deacons, and, and I hope another one or two elders perhaps as well as we walk through this process. So I want us to understand this. This is why we do what we do. Um, we love gifts. We love personality, but we've got to look at fruit. We've got to take time to look at that. To the prospective leader, thank you for your desire to be a leader in the church. And I want the emphasis to be on God's grace. And, and I want you to hear our, uh, our appreciation for you. I want your eyes to be on Him. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. We, we are glad for God's grace and, and what God's doing in your lives. And, and just want you to be aware that, that it will benefit you and the church to look at fruits. And it doesn't mean that, you know, if you don't qualify, you're a false prophet, by the way. <laughs> it's not like you need to qualify, you're a false prophet. It just may mean, well, it needs a little more time. Or maybe you're not called to be a leader, but just a faithful member. That's okay. I'm so glad I'm not, you know, I'm, well, it's always hard to preach a message like this, you know. It's like, guys, here I am, the model of perfect leadership. Um, that's not true. I'm still in process. Um, but I'm glad for the qualifying process for me that took some years because I recognized that, you know, we needed that. I needed that. And I can look and say, yes, with a certain degree of confidence, I think the Lord's called me to this. So it's for your good that there is a process. If you are interested in leadership, please talk to me. Like I said, it's my third priority. It's a high priority. I want to do all I can to pour my life into you, to serve you, to replace myself, essentially. That's my job. There will be a day when I move on to be with the Lord or perhaps something else. I want to leave solid leadership in place. So talk to me. Third category, if the band comes up as we conclude. Sorry for the length of this message, but I think these are truths that we need to think through. The third category is the wounded follower. There are those of us who have been in places where there were false or errant leaders. There are those who have been preyed upon by ravenous wolves. And I know some of you guys and I probably don't know many of the stories, but some of you are still smarting from the bite marks. And I just first want to say, on behalf, I think behalf of the Lord, sorry, it shouldn't be that way. And there is a shepherd, there is a good shepherd, who never fails. And I'm sorry that you had to go through what you did. And I know a little bit about the damage it can do. But I also know Jesus. I know the Good Shepherd. And I know He's not like that. I know and I trust you know, maybe you know it better sometimes, that He is a shepherd who's laid down His life for the sheep. He gave His all the sheep. He didn't lay the sheep down for himself. He's laid his life down for the sheep. And I hope you can still believe that's true. 
Because it is true. Whatever you might feel, this is true. And He has the ability to restore you. And He has the ability to raise up true shepherds. And I would love to talk with you and pray with you. I know there's others here and leaders here who would love to do the same. To help you be restored in your faith in Him ultimately. And His ability to raise true leaders up. True under-shepherds, under-the-chief shepherd. So we pray that you be refreshed and restored. That you can learn to follow the chief shepherd as his under-shepherds follow him and lead you. Thank God there is the true shepherd who never fails. Jesus Christ. The true prophet. The source of all true under-shepherds and true prophets. Thank God that he raises them up as leaders to serve his church that He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That He will work and he will, he will raise real leaders up. He will bring them through processes where their fruit is evaluated and they are set in place to serve. He will be there with them to correct them, to surround them, to put other leaders around them, to, to use them to serve His people. There is a good <coughs> shepherd who reigns over His church and we must not forget that. But let us under Him heed His words and recognize false prophets from true, that we might benefit from His leadership under true leaders as we trust in Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You are the true shepherd. We thank You, Lord, that You care for Your sheep and lead Your sheep. And we thank You that You raise up leaders. We thank You, Lord, I thank You as a pastor for the many leaders here in our church that I am not alone but have many Folks, alongside deacons, future elders perhaps, deaconess-type leaders, Lord, as well, thank You so much. We want to serve You, Lord, and Your church and Your purposes. Lead us. Give us wisdom. And be glorified as You do it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.